This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. Hey everyone, my name is Spencer Miller and welcome to the Bookmarked Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. They are the Stonewall Book Award winning, the Lambda Literary Award winning, the National Book Award winning, the author of your favorite books like Felix Ever After and Hurricane Child and so many more. It's Kaysen Callender. Hi Kaysen and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Spencer, thanks for having me. Of course, I am thrilled to be talking today about your new book, Lark and Kasim Start a Revolution, which is available for pre-order now and wherever good books are sold on September 27th. Could you give our listeners a brief introduction to yourself and to your new book? Yeah, so I'm Kaysen. I was born and raised in St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, before I moved around a bit, went to New York, went to Philly, and now I'm out in Los Angeles. Um, Larkin Kasim's Start a Revolution. I always struggle to give a brief summary because I feel like there are so many plot threads, but I'll do my best. Basically, Lark is a 17-year-old non-binary aspiring author who wants to be published and thinks that the only way that they can be published is to reach 50,000 followers on Twitter. And they are well on their way, but then their former best friend and now number one enemy Kasim accidentally posts a viral Twitter thread on Lark's account declaring Kasim's unrequited love. And Lark feels the need to take the responsibility for that thread and is sucked into a lie. That is a super good summary, actually. <laughs> you did a great <laughs> job because there is, like you said, a lot of different plot threads going on. This book was doing so much and I was so impressed by it because you have, of course, Lark's story. There are romance elements. There is navigating friendships, navigating bigger issues in the world. And the book is having a lot of different conversations. To me, it was really like a book of ideas. I found like there were so many ideas being shared between characters. The book, I think, is also perfect for like young writers, anyone who's aspiring to be an author, because it was so interesting to see, I think, some of the insights into the publishing industry that you can provide as a, as a published author, but through Lark's eyes, through an unpublished writer. Lark dreams of being published, and they experience some of the highs and lows of that journey, like getting a bunch of rejection letters throughout the story. Why was it important for you um, that Lark and even some of the other characters in the story to be writers? Why did you choose to go that route? Yeah, so throughout my career as a published writer, I've been really inspired by teen writers. There have been a few on Twitter who will reach out, and especially on school visits when I would ask in the room, like before I, when I still did school visits before the pandemic, I would ask the class who are writers or who want to be writers, and so many would raise their hands. And when I was a teen writer, I really didn't know anything about writing character arc or plot. And I feel like teens today are leagues ahead of where I was. So I wanted to create this young marginalized teen writer um, as a way to hopefully inspire other young marginalized writers as the next generation of published authors to show that it is hard to become 
published in some ways, you will receive like rejection letters, you'll receive rejection and criticism, um, especially if you're marginalized. And I think I hoped that LARC could be in some ways a helping hand in terms of talking about craft, but also a, a seat of inspiration for young writers to keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. And it really felt that way. It felt like you were giving back. And in a sense, I felt like there was so many great insights. And you cover a lot of a lot of the different intricacies of of going about being published, like even subtle things like dealing with Goodreads reviews or negative comments on social media. Actually, you mentioned the pandemic as well earlier in, in your answer. And I also felt that this book was really current because parts of the pandemic still came out up and affected the story, which I thought was really interesting. Why did you decide to keep the pandemic current within the walls of this story? Yeah, I actually wrote this while well, we're still in the pandemic. I wrote this yeah. in 2020, towards the end of 2020, when I still really didn't know how everything would play out. Um, and in some parts, I believe I wrote when I was still in quarantine uh, while I was in Philadelphia. So it felt like that was a necessary part of the story in order for it to actually be a contemporary story. I felt like ignoring the pandemic would make it almost a speculative story at this point because the pandemic has affected so much of all of our lives and especially young marginalized teens. I didn't want to try to just brush it under the rug. I think it was a great choice. I know um, it's probably a difficult choice for a lot of authors right now who are writing YA. And I've seen different books that either either ignore the pandemic or some that maybe set their stories like in an imaginary after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but I like that this book really felt just very much in the world as it was happening today. Lark and some of their other learning about writing and wanting to become an author, they express a lot throughout the story, different things that they would want to write about. So for example, they talk about wanting to write characters where Black felt like the default. They talk about wanting to write stories where Black characters and queer characters and neurodivergent characters can all exist on the same page together. And it felt like in a way you were kind of getting to write that story because you do have a beautifully diverse cast of characters in this book. So how did it feel to be able to live Lark's dream in a sense and, and write a cast that was so diverse and so inclusive? So yeah, it felt very freeing, especially as a neurodivergent person. I really let my own thoughts and habits loose without really having to default to the neurotypical standards, I guess, and really just allow my thoughts out without what I think a lot of neurodivergent people would call masking. And I realized that even like this book is a lot about people pleasing and masking for the sake of safety, for example. Um, and I think in a, my previous works, I would tend to think about what it is that neurotypical people expect. Um, I have to cut my thoughts down. I have to cut down character. I have to make characters act a certain way. And in that way, it became kind of like a, I, I enjoyed like breaking the fourth wall a lot with this book because in a way Lark is symbolic of a character who literally wants to be likable in the sense that there are so many discussions about what a likable character even is what that likable character looks like in order to make the book good so I feel like I was playing a lot with those layers about what it means to be a likable character what it means to be an acceptable character and that kind of like paralleled back to my own life of what it means to be an acceptable person in this world and needing to mold myself and people please for the sake of safety. So I really enjoyed playing with that idea with a neurodivergent character and allowing the thoughts to just be loose and have fun with it. And I feel like that was the perfect example of neurodivergency because I really did not even answer your original question, except I sort of did. No, you did. <laughs> I went around in circles for a bit there. But yeah, so it felt really freeing to be able to make those declarative statements 
like you said, where Black is the default. And even though I know that my characters, like myself, will face racism, transphobia, ableism, I wasn't going to let that affect what I wanted to write. So, yeah, it felt very freeing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know I really appreciated it as a reader. Unfortunately, like Lark notes in the story, you don't get to see that all the time. I, I don't often get to read books with even just, for example, a neurodivergent main character. And so that was really insightful for me and, and something that I hope we get to see more of and why more representation for, for diverse characters. Another thing that I love about your writing, and I say this as a teacher because I have um, students who read your books. And so I love that you are really trusting of a young adult audience and you don't ever like write down to them. I feel like you deal with really challenging and important topics and your writing feels very honest with youth today. And so I wanted to ask you, how do you approach writing about a really complicated topic? Accountability is something that comes up a lot in the story. And that for sure was a theme that was interesting to me. And so do you start with a theme in mind when you're writing or does that come to you maybe later in in the story process? Yeah, both. Um, With accountability, I feel like I first started out with a specific theme around everything, kind of what I was saying before in terms of like who gets to be accepted and who like people pleasing and trying to to make mold oneself and like drop authenticity for the sake of safety. I I feel like that was the main, the central theme that I started out with. And as I continued to write the book, more themes came out, such as accountability But for the original question uh, with young readers, I feel like young people are often underestimated and that in a lot of ways, I think that young people are actually at the forefront of a lot of these complicated topics. I think that um, discussions like accountability are things that sometimes even adults at my age of like in their mid thirties aren't even having these conversations, but teenagers are. And I remember, I often say this, I think that a lot of the conversations teens will have around like identity or topics that adults would say that we tend to think teenagers can't handle. I would be having them in college and older. And those are conversations teens and younger are having in these days. So in order to kind of like place the discussion on the page in a way that's like quote unquote teen friendly, it really is just in the exact same way I would write for an adult because adults are having the conversations that teenagers are having now. So I totally agree with you. Was it challenging in this story? I loved that you also got so many different perspectives on these conversations of identity. So for example, Lark and Kasim kind of butt heads, especially at the start of the book, and they have very different views and perspectives on the same idea. So a topic will come up and then you get almost two sides of of the coin. Was it difficult to write kind of both perspectives on these issues? How did you kind of think through that process? I tend to have a very neutral stance on a lot of those topics, and I can see the pros and cons of both. For two characters like Lark and Kasim, where they can feel very strongly, it was uh, easy for me to kind of like take both sides and say that I can understand where both of you are coming from as they're having those arguments and discussions. I think it works so well, and I know that was really interesting for me to get to see, you know, multiple perspectives on on a topic that would come up often in their in their writing group, I should say, in, in the story, Lark is a part of a writing group with a number of other students, and they have a teacher, Mr. S, who does a great job of asking them questions and, and giving them advice. I really love these scenes that took place in the writing group. Why did you in, include to include like a formal study of writing uh, inside of your book? I think because I originally, it was, uh, the original draft did not have um, this writing group and this writing class and Mr. S. I think that as Lark um, within the 
second and third draft became um, an aspiring writer because they weren't in the very first draft. I decided I wanted a way to show scenes where they actually are writing. And then that became the writing group. And then Mr. S was born as the adult who's in the room as their teacher. And then I think that the conversations about writing just came out organically. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a sit down and I didn't decide beforehand there really needs to be like a writing teacher. It kind of happened organically and I was happy to see it. It was great. And, and again, I think it was almost generous of you in a way because it almost was like you giving writing advice. And again, I think any young readers or well, readers of any age who, who want to be writers themselves would really enjoy reading the story because of it. You mentioned earlier as well that um, with having Lark as a writer, that you also got to kind of play with the fourth wall at times. Um, and I really enjoyed those moments. And one way that I guess sort of deals with breaking the fourth wall is that one of the characters that Lark is writing um, named Birdie uh, kind of plays a role in this story and kind of gives almost encouragement or speaks to Lark in ways throughout the book. Do you mm -hmm. feel like um, your characters come alive in similar ways for you when you're writing? Do you feel like you have a, a relationship with the characters that you're crafting? Yeah, and that's why Birdie was born kind of from that. I feel like a lot of authors do have these conversations with their with their characters. It's not as in-depth as Birdie. I don't see my characters like in the room with me in the way that Lark <laughs> describes seeing Birdie. But I do, especially when I'm having writer's block, I'll like sit my characters down. We'll have a meeting. I'll be like, what's going on? Why is this not working? <laughs> so I think that a lot of um, authors experiencing similar yeah, I thought it was really sweet, especially as the story develops and as Lark writes more of Birdie's story, their relationship also kind of develops as well. So I, I thought it was really sweet and a really wonderful addition. Another big issue that comes out throughout this book is different takes on social media. Um, you mentioned that at the start of the book, uh, Lark really views social media as a tool that they can use in their journey to publishing. They're, they're trying to get attention online and, and certainly it can be important for, for an author to, to gather a following online. But as the story goes on, Lark also realizes there's downsides to, to being on social media. I was wondering, did this come from some of maybe your own experiences on social media? It felt like, again, wonderful insight into the, the issues that authors deal with. Was that kind of reflective of, of some of your own journey? Yeah, I did have some moments where I realized social media was more harmful been good for my own well-being, not to the level that Lark was dealing with, and unfortunately to the level that I've seen other authors dealing with who have not even really made harmful mistakes. Um, it's hard to give examples without making it into kind of like a conversation where you're discussing like the drama of Twitter, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's made me really want to step back because I've realized in the same way that Lark eventually realizes it really isn't necessarily even about the quote unquote mistake, it's more about the fun in dragging someone down, another human being down. And that in itself is a mistake that I think we can all learn from and inspect and figure out why it is that we are all so interested in dragging down other people and shaming other people online. But that's also a dangerous thing to say these days. So maybe I'll just pause there. Well, the book does a great job of, I mean, like exploring that and talking about, again, that theme of accountability. And so you get to see all these different perspectives on that conversation, which I think was really helpful again. And I, especially I know just in my time being online and, and talking about books, the closer I look, I, I see 
these things being said, maybe in a Goodreads review or on Twitter, things that are hurtful or harmful or just aren't constructive in any way and aren't helpful to the book community. So it was nice to see you kind of almost address some of those things in through Lark's experiences. Thank you. And yeah, I do want to make it clear that there are at times also times when people do say harmful things that hurt like a group of people. And that's when Mm -hmm. accountability does come in. And it's a question of not necessarily shaming, but like what guilt can you feel in terms of making, like making up for that mistake and learning and growing as a human and then moving on. And you're right. And and both those sides come up in the story. Uh, And so I think, again, it's, it's interesting to see that there's, there's a lot of different ways to to approach this topic. The thing that I, I loved while reading was all of the references that you included in the story. So for example, there were a lot of music references built in. You made reference to artists like Frank Ocean, Tiana Taylor, Willow Smith, even like the muses from the animated Hercules. And a lot of these lyrics are almost built right into uh, Lark's inner monologues or some of the things that the characters say. Did you have like a playlist of, of songs that you listened to while writing or was music on your mind a lot? How did, how does that find itself so closely linked to your writing? How do you work it into the way you do? So the answer is both yes and no. So <laughs> the moments with like Will Smith specifically and Hercules and Frank Ocean, I remember that those were moments when I was writing and the lyrics just came to head and I felt came to mind. I mean, and those were just fun moments where my ADHD brain came into play. Like I feel like those are the perfect examples of how neurodivergency can work. So that's how I think on a like daily basis I think another example was the Hamilton lyric that came in towards the beginning when Lark is with their mom um but at the same time I did also I do listen to I think I was listening to the Solange radio on Spotify so at times like the mood would uh match what song was playing so that's a example of where like Tiana Taylor would come in and I would kind of like say the song is playing while the scene is happening between Lark and Hissing. I thought it was really fun. It was like there was a, a soundtrack to the book. As well as the music, you also referenced other authors throughout the story. I know James Baldwin and Toni Morrison are mentioned, um, and other authors like Keith Lehman and Cameron Garrett. Are these authors who have inspired you? Are some of the books that are mentioned, are these books that you've read and, and found inspiration from? Yeah, those I really wanted to focus on referencing Black authors to uplift other Black writers. So I was very focused on making sure that every author I mentioned was Black in this book. Yeah, and, and I think it's great because almost like the song references, I also, you know, I could keep track of these book references and I was Googling some of the titles and was, you know, adding things to my, my TBR like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know of that book or that author. That sounds really great. So that was fun. Well, in a similar way, a little different than, than the Black authors, but other references that you make that were fun for me were two different animes. Kasim yeah. and, and Lark love to watch anime together. And I think you referenced um, The Promised Neverland and Attack on Titan. Do you watch a lot of anime? Do you have a favorite anime? Is it The Promised Neverland or <laughs> Attack on Titan? Is that why they're mentioned? Or why did those ones, why did you choose those mm, ones? No, I do love anime. Um, I'm like the millennial generation where I, my favorite is Mel Alchemist Brotherhood, mm-hmm. like that's popular among the millennials. But those two specific animes, I'm just like Lark in those scenes. I think Kasim is making fun of Lark for not being able to watch them. And I'm, I cannot, well, unfortunately, I'm going to try with Attack on Titan again mm-hmm. because I hear that the latest seasons are amazing. So I really want to try again, but 
I'm too much of a punk to um, to watch The Promised Neverland. <laughs> That's so fun. I I know um, my students love animes and kind of similar to to Lark. They recommended that I watch Attack on Titan, but they didn't tell me at all what it was about. They didn't warn me, so I was really freaked out by, by these giants eating people at first because I had I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I actually just had a nightmare about a giant last night. So maybe I should not watch Attack on Titan, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You mentioned being a millennial and actually you reminded me of one of my favorite lines in the book is, I, I think it's Lark who has a thought or makes a comment to the effect of that millennials just want to be like Gen Z. And that really made me laugh because honestly, it was probably a little relatable for me as a millennial who loves young adult literature. And, and I, I mean, I work with teenagers all day and, and I really do think they're awesome. How did you come up with that line? Is that something that you felt? How, what are your views on, on Gen Z and some of the, the readers of your stories? What do you think of, of teenagers and their generation today? Well, for that line specifically, I'm just always amused by the casual dragging that Gen Z does of millennials. So yeah. I think it's funny <laughs> and Lark doesn't even mean anything by it. They're just kind of like, yeah, I think that they hope that they wish that they were us or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt like that was just like a character moment. But for, when it comes to Gen Z, yeah, I'm, I'm very inspired by this generation. I do think I tend to generalize and I want to be more careful of that because it's easy to say, oh, this generation has like zero issues. They're amazing. They are really pushing us forward. Of course, there are teenagers who are also kind of being taught by their parents the same issues of the past generations with racism, with misogyny. So that's not completely gone. But mm-hmm. I do think maybe because of the digital age, there's just so much more empathy. There's so much more understanding of um, things like identity at a much younger age that I did not have access to when I was younger um, and that millennials didn't have access to. Yeah, I'm just very inspired by this generation. Yeah, you mentioned them having access to this information in digital spaces, but of course, also in in books, I think books just like the ones that you write are just giving the information and and representation to readers and helping to open a lot of eyes and open minds and really share and be a place of comfort for a lot of young readers. So thank you so much for, for writing the stories that you do. Thank you. Where can our listeners learn more about you and find more information about your books? Um, you can visit my website, kaysoncalendar.com. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Kaysen. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Spencer. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed the show and see you next time.